Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yorika Talbo. Hello, are you ready to turn your creative passion into a profitable business or break through that stuck feeling? Well, join me, Yuri Cataldo, on today's exciting episode, Advance Your Art, while I deep dive into the journey of successful creative entrepreneurs and reveal their secrets to success. Don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, and share button if you've enjoyed this episode and want to stay ahead of the game. Joining me today is David Drebin. He's an internationally renowned and New York City-based photographer and multidisciplinary artist. David, hello. How are you? Thank you for the introduction, Yuri. Thank you. Of course, of course. It's my absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for joining me today. Um, so I know I, I gave you a very brief intro, but for my listeners who are less familiar with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I like to generally answer that question in 15 seconds or less, which is basically I create many different art forms and distribute them through the finest galleries all over the world. And I have a highly recognizable style where I make photographs, diamond dust prints, lenticulars, sculptures, and neon light installations. And I produce books with my publisher in Germany that are distributed all over the world. Well, good, good, good. Um, and we are going to get into your current artwork in a little bit. But first, I I want to get a little bit more background of just about um, your journey and where you came from on this. So what initially got you interested in art and photography and, and what was that like? I was living in Vancouver in the 90s and really searching for what my purpose was in life and I tried many different things I tried being a chef I tried being an actor I tried being a singer I wasn't very good at any of those things and I had a roommate in Vancouver who was taking photography classes <laughs> and I thought that he was a egomaniac kind of creative type who wanted to be all cool and be a photographer. And I thought the last thing I ever wanted to do was be a photographer. And then one day he came home with all these photographs, these black and white photographs of his coworkers mm -hmm. and their souls jumped off the page. And at that very moment, my whole future flashed in front of me. And I, I thought, I hate to say this, but I think I want to be a photographer. And I, I actually asked the guy permission because I was bashing him for trying to be a coolio. Mm -hmm. And then he was the person who inspired me to actually make photographs in the first place to get out of my own head and express myself photographically and make my imagine, imagination come into life, turn mm -hmm. it into photographs, take the images of my mind and turn them into photographs on paper. And that's how it all got started for me back in Vancouver in the early 90s. Okay, back in Vancouver, early 90s. And then, so how did you learn the craft of, of being a photographer? Did you attend, like I'd say, a traditional university program or did you learn by doing? Yes, I did. I okay. did. I did. I went to, I actually went to photography school in Vancouver okay. where I was very bad 
at <laughs> making photographs. I made many bad photographs before I made any good photographs. Yeah. And then when I realized that I was getting better, I asked myself, where do I have to go where it's the toughest but with the biggest rewards? And I thought to myself, it's got to be New York City. And mm -hmm. so I was actually at acting school in New York City, and I was literally the worst actor in my class. But that's when I realized that I wanted to do something different, and I wanted to be basically behind the camera instead of in front of the camera. So then I enrolled into Parsons School of Design in New York City, and I was accepted. And it all started there in 1994. Wow. Okay. So so mid-90s in New York City – going to like a, an amazing art school what what was that like and and what kind of or what kind of lessons did that time in your life teach you i i hate to say this but what i learned at parsons was that most of the teachers were failed artists oh. <laughs> but the school was very prestigious so i was very confused i thought wow this school is very prestigious but a lot of these teachers didn't make it until they became teachers. Mm -hmm. And that fascinated me. And I remember when I graduated from Parsons in 1996, those same teachers became my competition. Mm. When I started out in the editorial world of working for magazines and working for advertising agencies, before I actually started working with galleries and had a product that we distributed all over the world. Mm -hmm. How did that... I guess, how did that make you feel and how did they react to being your competition? Because that's a very uh, aggressive word, competition. Well, I always believed that my competition, my greatest competition was my own reflection. But the reality is that the teachers who were teaching us then became our competitors vying for the same jobs when I was a service before I created a product. Okay. Because for many years, I was, I was a gun for hire. Mm -hmm. as opposed to having a product that I was distributing all over the world. Okay. So that's, it's an interesting way you describe that, a gun, gun for hours. So I actually, I want to talk gun about for both. Hire, gun for hire, gun for hire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gun Sorry, yeah, yeah. Hire. A gun for hire. Um, so how did you first get your, let's say first, in the gun for hire world, when did you, how did you first land those, those gigs? And what was that like? I went on hundreds of meetings with my portfolio in the 90s, dropping my portfolio off to advertising agencies, photography agencies, magazines all over the world, from Paris to London to New York, literally was getting on subways, dropping off my portfolios, picking them up, and basically getting no responses from anybody. And mm. on my birthday in 1999, I got my first job where I actually, ironically enough, took a train from New York to Boston to photograph Jewel, the singer, and her mother for the Sunday Times Magazine in London. That was my first job on my birthday in oh, wow. 1999 yeah. after being rejected by literally hundreds of magazines and hundreds of advertising agencies where they literally would just leave my portfolio for me at reception. Hmm. And no one would even give me any feedback, but I had such unbelievable belief in myself that I always thought to myself, well, if you don't hire me, that's okay because somebody else will. Yeah. And that's how it all got started for me. And, and I had this great saying that I repeat in my mind on a regular basis, which is that one day in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. Hmm. 
That is that's a, so that's a that was a very beautiful saying. I am so I'm 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 curious on that first gig with Jewel. What do you think was the difference that separated you from a, a no, which you had brought up brought before was was kind of what was happening to you to this large gig that was a yes? Like what was was there something that you think that you did or something happened or what was that? If you can think back. Well, first of all, I only had five minutes to photograph her and her mother <laughs> okay. at this, this concert venue before she was putting on a show. And I was actually fueled by rejection. So I never actually felt rejected. I always felt like it was their loss because I was willing to work so hard and go anywhere in the world to make these photographs happen. Mm -hmm. So I never really felt rejected, but I was extremely nervous when I made that first photograph. But that was one of the meetings that I went to in London, when I was taking the tube, went to all these magazines and they just randomly called me yeah. and gave me 24 hours notice to go to Boston. And I just made it happen. I took the train from New York to Boston. I was yeah. so nervous. I was so excited. And that made me feel so alive to have that opportunity after literally a few years of colossal struggle and yeah. taking my portfolio around to magazines and advertising agencies around the world with no response, no communication. But I always believed in myself. And I look back and love those years of struggle. Yeah. So um, so you mentioned earlier your, your kind of two phases of, of gun for hire and then brand. After this jewel gig that you had, talk to me about the journey from going from gun for hire to a brand and what that was like and what was the moment when you were when you knew now you were the brand and not just a gun for hire well first of all i was a waiter throughout my years at parsons and the years of struggle in new york city and i always thought that i would be a waiter and make photographs during the day and on the side it was uh -huh. my passion that mm -hmm. turned into an occupation yeah so there was never an aha moment it okay. was a series of moments, but a big moment for me was when I was working as a waiter and after contacting every single agent in New York City, finally a D-list agent at the time gave me an opportunity and basically none of her photographers could do this job and mm -hmm. I was available. This was also in 99 and it was a Salem cigarette campaign where we shut down 57th Street in New York City. And I had a huge crew working for me where I'd worked as a waiter the night before. And I thought to myself, wow, <laughs> that was the moment of all moments for me. I was on Central Park West or 57th Street mm -hmm. making these photographs for a Salem cigarette campaign. And I worked as a waiter the night before. And I worked as a waiter the next night. And I got fired the next night because I told my coworkers about how excited I was. And my manager was so jealous that he fired me. Oh, that's too bad. Which, I mean, and I learned, yeah. and I learned, this is what I learned. Never right. tell anybody what you are going to do and be mm. very careful even telling anybody what you did because there are envious and jealous people lurking everywhere. People mm. want you to be successful, but never as successful as they are. That's mm. one thing I've learned through this entire process. Yeah. Okay. So from that moment where you shot that, that cigarette, ad what was it like then i guess post that so you've you've been fired as a as a waiter um so did that mean that at that time you were getting a steady um a steady setup of different gigs or 
what was that like that then kind of propelled you into uh, a you know a larger brand being able to support yourself full time as a as a working professional artist I didn't think of it that way at the time. I was just always looking for a job and I realized that I didn't want to be a waiter anymore. So I had to find the right agent who could get me the right opportunities. And I was always thinking about how to find my next opportunity, always hustling, always thinking, what could I do for you as opposed to what you can do for me? And that's mm. the key to all value in the world is what is your value what can i do for you mm -hmm. whereas most people are always thinking what can you do for me yeah so how did you determine that for each of the whether it's your asian or for these clients how did you figure out what you could do for them because i knew i had a very unique photographic style and at the time i was trying to get opportunities where i could utilize my photographic style to photograph celebrities for magazines and do mm -hmm. ad campaigns for advertising agencies, which I did. And I was extremely prolific mm -hmm. in the late nineties until I realized that I was the brand instead of being hired to work for the brand. And that mm -hmm. was a big moment for me was to create my own product mm -hmm. as opposed to being hired as a service for magazines and advertising agencies where they would kind of chew you up and spit you out. And there was very little loyalty and I like loyalty because I'm a very loyal person. Yeah. So what did, so the, your brand and, and you realizing this, how did, obviously there was some kind of, there was a switch in inside of you where you realized this, but how did you then approach your work and potential clients now that you were representing David as the brand versus David as the, the service. I never thought about David as a service or David as a brand. I okay. just kept on producing more and more work and the right people found me mm. when I was out there trying to provide value to the world. I'm okay. basically a failed commercial photographer who made it as an international artist represented by the finest galleries all over the world because yeah. my work is very identifiable as my own. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when it comes to doing advertising jobs, they don't want the work to be identifiable to a certain artist. Okay. They want it to be about their brand. For example, you know, when you go to the Four Seasons Hotel or Mandarin Oriental Hotel, they have unique Four Seasons personality or Mandarin Oriental personality. They don't often encourage people to be themselves. You mm -hmm. have to fit in. Mm -hmm to the way they want you to be as opposed to the way that you really are. It's like being in a box. Yeah. And I like to be free as myself and I can't be put into any box ever because being mm -hmm. put in a box is the opposite of being free. Mm -hmm. And I live for freedom. <laughs> I live for freedom. Right. So I am, I am very curious about your unique style and how you developed it. So if, do you remember like either like what that moment was like where you realized this was, this is a, you know, a style that I want to identify with or did it just naturally occur? What was that like for you? That's like asking somebody, how did you develop your personality? <laughs> I think the personality yeah. develops or how did you learn how to be funny? Yeah. I don't think, 
being funny is something that you learn. You either are funny or you're not funny. It's the same thing with style. I just kept mm -hmm. on making more and more different types of art. And then as I produce more and more, the style spoke to me mm -hmm. as opposed to me thinking about what my style was. Mm -hmm. My style told me what it was as I did it over and over again for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So as, again, as you're, you've been developing and, and working where do your ideas come from for all of the different, um, you know, projects that you turn out over these years? A lot of ideas come when your mind is silent and quiet. And oftentimes when you distract yourself with TV, video games, phone, digital, then it affects your creativity. So sometimes mm -hmm. just looking out the window mm -hmm. and being quiet and spending time alone and even going for long walks, that ideas can flow into your mind when you're not trying to control it and you're not looking for your next dopamine high. Hmm. Interesting. Is that so in when you're creating work, do you have a particular, I don't say pr process or um, just kind of way that you separate yourself from distractions or what's what is your process really like? I really don't ever think about my process. I just make it happen. Mm -hmm. I don't analyze the process. I found my purpose and every single day I make sure that I slowly make more progress Okay. because you can't be in seven different cities at the same time. So you have to enjoy the city that you're in and think about the next city that you may want to go to. It's a process that isn't really analyzed. I just constantly create new art forms and present them to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are in their own way because they're doing too much analysis. And that's where the problems start is, is with, with so much analysis, constantly analyzing stuff. Mm -hmm. So what do you do instead of, let's say, analysis? I just make it happen. Okay. I just, it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like, going to the gym you can think about going to the gym for hours and hours and hours i just go to the gym mm -hmm. and you can think about making photographs for days and days and days i think you just have to start the key is to start and a lot of people are hesitant to even begin and mm -hmm. so my process is to have an idea and to make it happen mm -hmm. what i find particularly interesting ab about your work is the amount of work you have. So you're very prolific and you've been creating, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of different types of artwork for, for decades actually now. Oh, where do you find your energy and your endurance to keep doing this great body of work so frequently? That is a great question. I think the most important thing is to take care of yourself health-wise. So I make sure that I sleep at least eight hours a night. I make sure that I exercise at least five days a week, because if you're not healthy, then you can't produce. So the mm -hmm. number one thing for me is to make sure that my body is operating almost like an athlete where I'm constantly hydrated and exercising and sleeping. So that gives me the energy to produce during the day. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Are there 
particular, I don't, I don't say like supplements or like um, meditations or, or like. The yes. A lot of, lot, lot, yeah. lot of cocaine, a lot of steroids <laughs> and I'm on all sorts of drugs. You know, what's interesting is I meet a lot of people and, and often people think that I'm on drugs. And the reality is that I never do drugs. Hmm. And for me, life is a drug. Water mm -hmm. is a drug. And people look at me, they're like, dude, what are you on? And my response is I'm on absolutely nothing but life and hydration, sleep and excitement to be alive. And mm -hmm. a lot of people associate that with some sort of chemical, but it's actually the chemicals in my mind for making sure I take care of myself with exercise, sleep and hydration. That's mm -hmm. the drug of all drugs for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's good. And it's, you know, and uh, I think it's maybe one of those cliches, you know, from movies where you hear about artists who are addicted to drugs and, and you know, drinking and all kinds of stuff where they try to make the the alcohol or the addiction is where their ideas come from because they don't have anything uh, otherwise. And it sounds like, again, that's that's the movie version of it where you're the exact opposite of you treat yourself like an athlete because you are able to produce a large body of work. Similar like what an athlete would do in, uh, you know, a physical um, exertion. I find I get my best ideas when I'm going for long walks or I'm at the gym. On my way to the gym, on my way home from the gym, in the gym, when I'm sitting quiet, being bored, which is rare for me. But I think yeah. it's important sometimes to sit alone and let your thoughts speak to you as opposed to trying to control your thoughts because it's about – Getting to know the inner versions of ourselves when we're alone, that some of our best ideas come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's been like for me for years and years and years. And then I look back and look at all the work and think, this all came from my mind, but I'm very connected to the universe. And I feel as though I'm just a messenger from and for the universe. Mm-hmm. So you said something very interesting, which is that you you sit and you allow yourself to be bored. Uh, I know for some people, the idea of just sitting with their thoughts and being bored is is terrifying for them. How did you become comfortable with well yourself? After spending so much time by myself and realizing that by being silent and just looking out the window, I'm in my apartment in New York City with the most epic movie-like view you could ever imagine. And the reason why I wanted to have this apartment is so I could just look out the window, be silent, and that the ideas flow to me because of all the greatness that New York has produced mm -hmm. in the history of New York. New York is the greatest story ever told and the greatest story ever sold. So I like being based in New York and staring out the window and letting the ideas flow. Just let it flow. <laughs> Just let it flow. Mm. I um, So I, I like that you brought up New York a few different times. And for some people, that is that is the ultimate dream, regardless of their age, is to, is to you know, ultimately do what you are doing, which is to be a successful artist in New York. I am, what I'm curious about is, when you first moved from Vancouver to New York, um, you know, as a as a younger person, there had to been, and maybe there wasn't, like the the oftentimes for people, the idea of just moving to New York City is terrifying, or just moving 
anywhere is terrifying. How do you approach times when you are fearful and how do you push past those? I love being nervous and I love being scared and I don't find I'm as nervous and scared now as I used to be because I have so much experience doing this. But at the same time, I've never felt successful. I never pat myself on the back. There's always more. But at the same time, it's extremely important to be grateful and to have daily progress. And I've never taken my eye off the prize since 1992 when I discovered photography. Mm -hmm. It's literally been relentless every single day since that moment. So I feel like this is my duty and this is what I'm meant to do. And this is my purpose. And I always encourage people that I meet to find and fulfill their purpose. But a lot of people, especially with social media, are distracted by other people than what they're doing. And they don't have the patience and older people seem to have more patience through experience, but they have less time as opposed to younger people who have more time, but often have less patience. Hmm. How did you develop your patience? I developed my patience by being forced to be patient because I was once very impatient. Hmm. And I realized that I had to become patient because being impatient wasn't working for me. Gotcha. So, David, I'm curious, with everything that you have done and experienced throughout your career, what would you say was the best advice that you ever received? The best, I'm not sure this is advice, but I love when people in the beginning told me it was never going to happen for me. When I knew deep inside that it was going to happen. So I was always motivated by people who actually didn't believe in me while I believed in myself. And that was the greatest motivation for me. So it wasn't really advice mm -hmm. because I've had a lot of mentors along the way, but mentors never inspired me the way non-believers did when I first started. And that yeah. was the greatest motivation for me. When I had such an incredible belief in myself and my own ability, if I gave myself enough time and I love being doubted, that's what turned me on. The doubt turned me on because I never had self-doubt, but I love when people doubted me. That was the ultimate catalyst. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's that's a, a very powerful uh, moving force. And it it definitely has been working out for you and your, your benefits. Um, so David, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. I truly appreciate it. If our listeners would like to follow your work um, or potentially you know, see what you're up to, where is the best places they can do that online? My Instagram is at David Drebin, D-R-E-B-I-N. Same with Twitter, same with TikTok. And I like to not only show the work, but inspire other people to become what they should become and what their purpose is in life. That's very important to me because nothing irks me more than wasted talent. Excellent. Well, I encourage all of our listeners to, to follow you online, 
to look at what you've been working on. I will put the links in the show notes and um, they can click right through. But again, thank you so much, David. This has been a true pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Blackbones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.